Uh, we are going to get into the Word today, though, and it's going to be a good day in God's Word. We're continuing our series uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, and as you're turning in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, I want to give a shout out um, to some of my friends who've been bringing the Word over the last couple of weeks. Who have you heard from the last couple of weeks? Remind me. You heard from Marcus last, last week, right? He did a good job preaching on Father's Day. Who preached before that? Yeah, Danny, remember it was graduation Sunday. I just wanted to make sure you're paying attention, right? We might start doing a little bit more interactive stuff here at Life Church, so get ready to start talking. I hope I didn't just make up your mind that you're going to leave our church because I said that, but uh, I, I, I was excited to hear Danny as he was talking about wisdom, encouraging our young people. Uh, as they, we are having some graduates into middle school, into high school, and even into college. We've got a lot of stuff going on in the next gen here at Life Church. And so we heard from Pastor Danny. Then last week, uh, Marcus actually picked up our, he continued our series through the Sermon on the Mount, and he taught us about prayer. And I love, I said this last week, but I love the way that Marcus talked about prayer from an evangelistic perspective. He said, if we're going to really honor the way Jesus taught us to pray, we need to make sure our prayers send us out into the world as missionaries. Amen? Well, today we're going to talk uh, about what Jesus says next in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. If this is new for you, or if you haven't uh, been following along with our whole series, let's just, let me just remind you that Jesus sits down on the side of a hill. We call it a mountain, uh, just like how we like to pretend that we're surrounded by mountains. They're not really super tall mountains in the Antelope Valley. It's kind of like one of those. He goes up onto the side of the hill, and there was this area, kind of like a natural amphitheater, where Jesus sits, and there's a, a large crowd, a multitude. We don't really know how many people that was in that moment, but there was a large crowd listening to him, and he was teaching them about what it would look like to live in the kingdom according to God's actual standard. And the reason that that's important to say God's actual standard is because, well, there was a lot of other stuff going on uh, that wasn't super helpful and healthy. And there was a lot of the kind of religious teaching that was happening in Jesus' day, and Jesus was coming to correct that, right? So he gives us a section called the Beatitudes, and he tells us, I want you to live according to these standards. And then he begins to deconstruct some of the negative teaching that has been going on with the Pharisees. And, and you, you heard him say six different times, you've heard it said like this, but I'm actually telling you it's like this. And then for the last few parts of this sermon, we're actually on part three of this kind of mini-series, uh, this other section of Jesus' message. Jesus is actually showing us three fundamental foundational practices for Christian living or for living in God's kingdom. And he's making sure that we understand the heartbeat of how we should engage in each of those practices. So we've heard him talk about giving. We've heard him talk about prayer. And today, we're going to hear Jesus tell us about fasting. Now, if you don't know about fasting, you're going to know a little bit more about it by the end of today. I'm not going to give you an extensive lecture or teaching on fasting, but we're going to look at some of the benefits and purposes of fasting today. But let's begin with reading what Jesus actually said on the side of a hill in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, when you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. By the way, uh, hypocrites was uh, a common word but not really used in religious language during Jesus' day. And it was actually used often to refer to people who would put on an act or put on a show. So if you were an actor, you might have been referred to a hypocrite because you were playing somebody, a character, that we all sort of actually knew that you weren't really that person, right? And so Jesus now takes that word hypocrite and he applies it to religious language. He says, don't be someone that we all actually know that you're not. Don't be a hypocrite. So he says, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to the people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. That's an expression that we've heard Jesus say uh, during the other two moments of talking about giving and prayer as well. And in verse 17, Jesus goes on, he says, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Uh, just to put that in modern context, if this was uh, modern day, Jesus say, might say, put some, you know, take a shower and put some lotion on. That, that's what he might actually say to us if he were to say that uh, today. He says, so, do that so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And in some translations, it says something like, your Father who sees in secret will reward you in public, in front of other people. So here's, here's the first question of the day. What is Jesus actually talking about? 
he, he, again, he, he said now three different things. We just heard him say three distinct points, right? He's talked about giving. He's talked about praying. He says, don't practice your righteousness in front of others when he talks about giving. When he's talking about prayer, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing out in the church corner in the synagogues, and, and they love to be seen by other people. And now when he says, when we are fasting, he says, don't be like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces. They make it look obvious that they are in the middle of a fast. So here's what we want to understand that Jesus is saying fundamentally and first of all. Jesus is making an assumption that we are people who fast. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, he assumes that we fast. It'd be good if we know what fasting is. We'll get to that in just a second. But, but Jesus assumes that we are givers, that we are generous people. He assumes that we are people of prayer. And in the same point in his sermon, he assumes that we are fasters. He doesn't take time to break down, well, let me defend fasting for you. We'll do a little bit of that today because you might not hear about fasting a lot. This might actually be one of the first times you've heard a sermon about fasting. It's not a common practice that we talk about a lot. We might try to change that around Life Church in 2021. But Jesus assumes that we are giving, praying, and fasting. What he's actually taking issue with is not whether or not we fast, but how or maybe even why we fast. Jesus is addressing this, this common practice that when I talk about this sort of thing, I usually refer to it as performative spirituality. Performative spirituality is putting on a show so that other people can see what a good Christian you are. Performative spirituality shows up in the American Western church in all kinds of ways. One of the ways that I've critiqued performative spirituality at Life Church is, you know, those moments where somebody at church asks you how you're doing and your immediate response is blessed and highly favored, but you know that you just got in a fight with your spouse in the car on the way here, or, you know, you just lost your job, you just don't want to admit it. You're actually really angry. You just don't want to say, well, I'm angry today, and I'm here at church so that maybe God can say something about how angry I am, or I'm depressed today, and I'm here at church because I, I don't know if I can make it to Monday, so I came to church on Sunday because I'm just this depressed. And so what we say is we feel like we have to perform, and so we say, I'm blessed and highly favored. In God's kingdom, there's always an invitation for us to be honest, right? This is why Jesus calls out our problematic way of performing with our spirituality. There was only one person ever who would have had the right to say, I've got nothing wrong with me. His name was Jesus, and even Jesus made it a habit to engage with emotions, and he even did it in public. We have record of Jesus weeping in public. The Savior of the world, God Himself, cried. Did you hear that, men? Mark was the only one that responded. So, Mark, you and me are crying later. <laughs> Jesus wants to deconstruct the way we play a game with Him. This is not about games. Now, don't get me wrong, we're not swinging all the way over to the other end of the extreme and saying, we're not religious, we're spiritual. Yeah, we're spiritual, but we also have religious practices. We call those practices spiritual disciplines, and we believe that spiritual disciplines are the things that we do, like exercise, to strengthen our spiritual relationship with God. So God wants us to engage in spiritual disciplines, like fasting, for example, so that we can be strong. Dallas Willard talks about spiritual disciplines in this way. He says, they are the exercise that you do today so that you can do tomorrow what you can't do right now. It's like going to the gym and working out, right? I started a, a running program so I could do a 5K. And, and the 5K started me out by doing little spurts of running mixed in with walking so that I wouldn't die. And I'm really thankful for that. And over time, the length of running has gotten longer and longer and longer, and the length of walking has gotten shorter and shorter and shorter. And I was really surprised when all of a sudden it wanted me to run for 15 minutes straight, and it said, you don't get to walk today. I was not happy that day, but I did it because I had done all of the other spiritual or physical discipline days where I would run a little bit and walk a little bit, run and walk, and then run longer and walk less. I was building up 
my strength. That's what a spiritual discipline is. Jesus is not taking issue with that we do spiritual disciplines. It's that we do them as a show. Right? So in the case of fasting, Jesus is pointing out the habit of showing off the physical result of a fast. If you've ever gone on a fast, if you've ever... uh, Maybe, maybe you were in a different context and you called it a hunger strike, or maybe you did it in a physical context where your doctor recommended a fast. I've, I've heard of that. It's kind of a pop culture thing to do fasts now uh, for your physical uh, health and to take some time off and eat. And you know if you've ever done that, you go through a period of time where you don't feel great, and some people might even look at you and go, you're not looking so good, Right? Jesus is pointing out the way that people would draw attention to themselves on purpose in order to get a reward. And the reward that they wanted was attention so that they would look like spiritual rock stars. And the end goal of all of that was so that they could gain some kind of authority as religious leaders. They wanted to gain power. And so Jesus comes around and he offers a better way. He doesn't say, let's throw fasting out. That's old school. Let's not do that anymore. He says, let me remind you about the heart of the matter. So he says, in order to get to that, let's deal with this physical issue. Wash your face, bro. Take a shower and stop walking around like this. And when people ask you what's wrong, have you ever, have you ever done this? Have you ever, have you ever sulked on purpose? Don't act like you've never done this. Don't act like, if you've never, if you're trying to sit here and say, I've never sulked on purpose, we'll do a sermon sometime soon about how you're a liar. You know those moments when, when someone goes, how are you doing? And you know they don't really care. It's just like that thing where they go, how are you doing today? And then they keep walking. And your response is, I've been better. And you're really hoping that what they say to you is, you've been better what's wrong? You know, or or the moments where you post the thing on Facebook, like nobody asked how you're doing, but you posted it on Facebook about how, you know, some kind of like subtle comment about, it's just hard to be lonely. And you're posting that in hopes that like a hundred people, like everyone on your friends list will go, you're not lonely. I, I see you. I'm with you. Let's get coffee, right? Now, there's something beautiful about those moments when it's genuine and, and, and health and relationship happens, but Jesus is taking issue with us, putting ourselves out there to get attention so that we can get something that feeds ourselves. because God says, I should be the thing that feeds you, right? So let's reconsider why we fast and the way we behave when we fast. Jesus is saying, don't act like the hypocrites. Wash your face. Don't show it off. Now, he's, he's also not saying if you're fasting and someone goes, hey, are you fasting? Don't lie about it, right? Because then we've got back into that problem of lying. We'll have to do that sermon again, right? Don't, you don't need to lie about it. You don't need to hide it. You don't, need to, you don't need to pretend like you're not fasting. And if someone goes, hey, are you fasting? You don't have to go, oh, I blew it. Ugh. Well, now everything I was fasting about, it just completely doesn't matter anymore. There I go, being a bad Christian again. That's not the point. If someone finds out that you're fasting, in fact, a lot of people would recommend that you don't ever fast in isolation, that you don't ever fast without at least one other person knowing, partnering with you in prayer and certainly in physical accountability so they can make sure that you're not doing something that is dangerous or unhealthy for yourself. So I recognize that all of this might sound overly simple, that I could just basically read back to you Jesus' words and say, here's what Jesus meant. We could put it in its context, and that was like a five-minute sermon. But what I want to do with you today, for the rest of the time that I've got your attention, because Jesus wants us to understand the heart of the matter, I want to make sure that we don't just deconstruct our poor understanding of fasting, but that we actually put in its place a proper understanding of some of the purpose and benefits of fasting so that maybe you can walk out of here and apply this discipline to your life because you know the power of it or you know the purpose behind it. Right? So we're going to trust that as we engage with the spiritual discipline of fasting that we're not going to be performative in our spirituality. We're not going to show it off. But I want to share with you a few stories today, two from the Old Testament from a guy named Daniel and one story from the New Testament from a guy that you've probably heard of named Jesus. 
and we're going to look at a few examples of fasting referenced in Scripture that might be helpful for us. Now, if you wanted to turn your Bible to Daniel chapter 1, you can open your uh, Bible app, or you can Google it, or you can open up a paper Bible if you own and brought one of those to church today, or if you've got one at home. Go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 1. While you're turning there, just for the sake of us all being on the same page, let me take just a moment to define this term fasting. I think this is important. Uh, just, for the, just for context and for the record, uh, fasting is mentioned nearly 80 times in the Bible, so it's not just a one-off thing. It's mentioned in both the Old and New Testament, so it's not just an Old Covenant thing, and it's practiced by people from all backgrounds and cultures, so it's not even just a Christian thing. The author Richard Foster, who wrote a book about disciplines or spiritual disciplines, he called fasting the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. Adele Calhoun wrote a handbook on spiritual disciplines, and she describes, uh, which is one of my favorite descriptions of fasting uh, in her book on spiritual disciplines, she describes fasting this way, as a self-denial of normal necessities in order to intentionally attend to God in prayer. So I cut back from something I think that I need in order to lean into God on purpose in prayer. She says, she goes on to say, bringing attachments and cravings to the surface opens up a place of prayer. So that hunger that you feel during a fast actually becomes like an alarm clock to call you to a moment of prayer. She goes on again to say the physical awareness of emptiness in the, is the reminder to turn to Jesus who alone can satisfy. And then Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors on this subject, he added to our understanding of the benefits of fasting when he wrote, in fasting we abstain or we withdraw or withhold from our ordinary food to some significant degree and for some significant length of time. Fasting is not done to impress God or to merit or earn His favor, nor because there is anything wrong with food. Rather, fasting is done so that we may consciously experience the direct sustenance of God to our body and to our whole person. So we withdraw from something we think we physically need in order to survive, in order to remind ourselves and strengthen our spirit to, to rely on on God and remind ourselves that He is our spiritual sustainer. So fasting is abstaining or withholding from a regular activity, and it's most commonly done regarding food. There are some people who would tell you that, uh, that fasting is always about what you eat and that there are other spiritual disciplines that have to do with, with things other than food. So there's a lot of times where you might hear someone uh, say that they're taking a, a, a media fast. That's kind of a common fast in, the, in this new era, right? I, I've actually used that language to say I've, I'm taking a, a social media fast. I'll just take a week or a month, uh, and it's never long enough, off of social media. Uh, I've encouraged some people to take a fast from negative talking, right? Hey, hey, you, you keep saying negative, horrible stuff all the time. I, I actually was an intern director one time, and I encouraged an intern one time to take a six-month fast from sarcasm. It changed his life. He suddenly, you know, like made friends. It was wild. And maybe you could call that a fast, or maybe you could just call that a spiritual discipline. Uh, the point of all of this is that when there is something that you feel like you don't know how to live without, or it's something that you feel like is constant, you're constantly engaging with, you can call that a fast or a practice of simplicity. Uh, maybe you fast from, uh, from, from politics. Maybe you fast from social interactions. You might actually call that uh, uh, solitude, the, the discipline of solitude. So there's all kinds of different ways that we can withdraw from something we feel like we engage with regularly in order to draw near to God. And we're always reminded in these moments in the book of James where God promises us, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And that's part of the result and the benefit of fasting. So essentially, we might be able to say that fasting is willingly giving up something you enjoy or feel that you need for a designated period of time so that you can pray. That's the ultimate purpose. So you skip lunch, and instead of sulking about how you're hungry during your lunchtime, you actually lean into a moment of prayer. 
right? So I know some people who do a weekly fast during their lunch break on one specific day of the week, and during that lunch break, they go on a walk, and rather than eating, they actually take a prayer walk during their lunch break, even at work, right? Or you could do that even in, your, in, the, in the quietness of the break room where you work. You can do that, or, or even at your desk, right? So there's all kinds of different options, but ultimately the purpose of fasting is to cultivate a dependency on God. It's like working out your dependency muscle on God. Just like the psalmist says in Psalm 42, verse 1, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. It is the practice of fasting that increases that desire for God, reminds us that He actually does satisfy us as we lean in to Him. So the aim of fasting is to surrender what we've longed for in order to develop our longing for God. I'll put a disclaimer here, I'll just stand over here because this isn't a word of the Lord or anything, it's not in scripture, but I'll just say to you, please make sure you use common sense as you fast. Uh, If you have any physical ailments or concerns or reasons why a certain kind of fasting might not be helpful for you, consult a physician. I'm not one of those. Please talk to your doctor if you have questions about how you can do a fast and still be healthy, but don't neglect the practice. Let's, we can find creative ways for you to engage in this. And also, uh, don't do this, and this would be a form of spiritual performance where we would go from zero fasting to let's be like Jesus and do a 40-day fast. Don't do that. Just don't do that. You'll get sick. So, so maybe you can work up. Maybe you have a goal. I want to do a 40-day fast. I don't actually personally know anybody other than Jesus who has done successfully a 40-day fast. That doesn't mean it's not possible. I'm just saying I don't know anybody, okay? But none of the people who have done extended fasts that I know just started one day they weren't a faster, and then all of a sudden they went for a month. So we build up these things, just like, run, like no one's going to tell you to go run a marathon right now if you can't even run a mile, Right? So we build up to it. But let's be responsible. If you have questions about that, you can ask us. But 99.9% of the time, we'll tell you, go, go talk to your doctor if you have a physical question, because I'm not a doctor. But I will tell you spiritually, don't neglect the practice. Okay, so you're in the book of Daniel. You're in chapter 1. If you pick up this story in verse 8, I will tell you this, that Daniel was one of God's Uh, He's certainly one of God's heroes in Scripture. He's one of God's faithful children. He was living in a place called Babylon. The Jews had been taken into what we call the Babylonian captivity, uh, basically because they weren't being obedient to the Lord. And so Daniel, we we see here in this story, he's a young man. He's got a few friends. We might know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've got a pretty cool story. We'll read that some other time. Uh, But we see Daniel here at the beginning of his time in the Babylonian captivity. He was selected to be one of the special special servants of the king. And as a special servant of the king, he now became eligible to eat from the, the, the royal food, right? So they were going to give him all of the best food. And in verse 8, you see how Daniel responds to this. He says, but Dan, it says, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. Now, this doesn't mean that if somebody tries to give you a fancy like filet mignon in 2021, you have to reject it because that's the world's food and I don't want to defile myself. There were like for Daniel's era of being a follower of God, there were very specific rules about what you should and shouldn't eat. So he didn't want to defile himself by eating something God said, hey, don't eat that right now. So what he did was he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, the chief of staff was a little bit worried about that because if you don't eat the food that I give you, it's designed to like fatten you up and make you stronger and look good. And if you don't look good when this king sees you, it's not going to be you that's going to get in trouble. He's going to come after me. So I'm a little bit nervous about that. So what he did was he made a deal with the chief of staff. In verse 12, he says, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. And at the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who were eating, who were eating the king's food. And then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and said, okay, 10 days, what could hurt, right? At the end of the day, I'll just put him on the, on the good stuff. And so Daniel's suggestion uh, was to test him for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, this is verse 15, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual usual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. In other words, they were very smart and they were very wise, even more so than all of their peers. 
And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. And when the training, training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men, the whole group, not just the four guys, but the whole group of young men, brought them before King Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and no one impressed the king as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which were their Hebrew names. Again, we know them also as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which were the names that the king ended up giving them. The point of all of this is that after they did this specific fast for 10 days, a specific kind of diet for 10 days for this purpose to set themselves apart, God's response to them was that they were indeed set apart. Not only did they just look different, but God actually responded to their, their commitment in their fasting by giving them a blessing that lasted far beyond just the 10 days of what they were fasting. They ended up gaining favor with the king, with King Nebuchadnezzar, and they, he, Daniel had the ability to interpret visions and dreams, and so there was a, a physical and also a spiritual dynamic to the way God responded to their fast. Daniel fasted when he found himself bound by a kingdom that was offering him the good life, and his limitation of eating the food that looked like the good life actually positioned him for the actual good life of the kingdom of God. So he fasted in rejecting the food, and he gained this not just physical appearance, but a spiritual demeanor and, and insight and wisdom that set him apart and, and the four of them set them apart from everyone else. The, the story here is that Daniel rejected what the world offered him, and God rewarded him with the ability to influence the world whose resources he had rejected. So fasting positioned Daniel to have an authority. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says, hey, when you fast, don't look like you're fasting so that you can gain some kind of false sense of power as a, as a super spiritual practicer who fasts all the time, and we always know how you're fasting. Don't perform. Daniel says, let me actually draw back from what you think is going to make me look good, and I'm going to trust that God's going to have his way, and the long run of that is God said, I'll actually position you to have real authority right? So fasting positions us in God's will for our life to be an influence in the world according to God's standards, not our own. The next story that we'll read is actually also about Daniel. If you flip over just a few chapters into chapter 10, we find Daniel is is now grieving about the state of the people of Israel, uh, the, the state of the world as he knows it. Daniel actually knew that God's people were suffering, and he also knew that their suffering was ultimately a result of their sin and rebellion. And so he was grieving, and he was mourning, and he was petitioning God for a breakthrough and an answer. And he begins to fast. And in verse, uh, verse 2 of Daniel chapter 10, it says, He had a vision that came to him. It was in the third year of the king of Cyrus, he had this vision, and it was after uh, all of this, this drama had been going on, it says, when the vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been mourning, and he also in one translation it says, I had been fasting for three whole weeks. All that time I had eaten no rich food. Now, this is the New Living Translation I'm reading out of today, when that, it reads that word, rich food. Uh, you can also, the, the more accurate word there would be no pleasurable food. So he hadn't eaten nothing. He had eaten no pleasurable food, all right? Uh, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. Now, it goes on to say that I, I was... Uh, I was uh, in this moment of prayer, and I was standing on the bank of the river, and I, I looked up, and I saw a, a man, and he describes the man. Ultimately, this angel shows up to him in this, in this vision, and he's got this roaring voice, and he says, I'm the only one who sees it. Uh, the other people around me didn't see anything, and so I was just, I was just dumbstruck in this moment. And in verse 10, he says that the, the, the man touched me, and in verse 10, it says, just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling, to my hands and knees, because he had fallen flat on his face. This is usually the response when people see angels, right? And if that's the response when people see angels, imagine seeing God. That was a, that was a freebie. That was a side note. 
Verse 11 says, And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God, so listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up still trembling. Now, for sake of time, I'm not going to read the rest of the story. Here's how the story goes. Basically, he says, there's been warfare going on in the heavenlies. I'm an angel sent from God. The second you started praying and fasting, God commissioned me to come and tell you the answer to your prayer. And so I'll tell you now, but I wanted you to know I've been fighting through the enemy lines for three weeks trying to get to you, and there's a lot of craziness going on, and you can only see the physical of it, but there's like spiritual warfare going on. So your fasting has actually been what drew me to keep fighting through to bring you this word of the Lord. And here's the word of the Lord. God's going to do a great thing. And there was a, pro- a prophetic promise uh, that, that God gave. But there's something distinct here that I want you to understand. Daniel surrendered desirable food in order to emphasize his dependence on God, not to show his dependence on God, but in order to get an answer from God. Now, let's be clear here. We do not fast in order to twist God's arm, right? Have you, parents, have you ever had your kid clean their room before you asked because you know they want a toy? Right. That's not what we do with fasting. We don't get to twist God's arm but it is a way to position us in order to get a response from God or to petition God for a specific work in the world. Notice Daniel's request was not selfish, right? We don't fast so that we can get that Mini Cooper we've always been dreaming about. My birthday's October 27th, in case those, I don't know if that felt relevant at all, but... um, but we don't, we don't fast so that we can get something from God. We fast so that we can petition God to do His work in the world, right? Not something selfish, but something of service to the world, okay? So this was Daniel's heart in this moment. But what I love, what I, I remember the day that, that, that I first realized this. I was doing some studying in, this, in the original language of this text. And I realized that when it says here that I had eaten no rich food, that, that there was this Hebrew word that was used, chemdah. And, and the Hebrew word chemdah means pleasurable or desirable. And what's wild is that as you keep reading, and the angel says to Daniel, you are very precious to God, that the the original word that the angel used when he was talking to Daniel when he said you are precious to God is the same Hebrew word chemdah when he says you are precious and and the food that Daniel sacrificed. Let me connect those dots for you because it took the Holy Spirit to connect those dots for me. And when he did, my mind was blown. Daniel surrendered chemdah, the desire, his desire in his flesh, right? Think about the meal that you love the most. Now think about never eating that again on purpose, right? He, he surrendered chemdah, his, his desire. And what was God's response? Immediately, even though Daniel didn't see the response for three whole weeks, it was immediately that Daniel had become Chemdah to God. When you are willing to surrender what you desire, all of a sudden you become desirable to God. And, and listen to this God does not fast what He desires, He draws near when we fast what we desire that isn't Him because we become desirable. And I know there's like some theologians in the room going, but, but God loves me even when I'm the dirtiest sinner. And Yeah, but you weren't hanging out with him much, right? God has no part in our sin. What did James tell us? Draw near to God, and I will draw near to you. This implies that there are moments where you and God are not very close, right? So what is one of the ways that we draw near to God? It's through the spiritual discipline of fasting, which is to surrender our chemdah, our desire, the thing that we think that we need the most, because what we actually need the most is God. And God's response when we say, you are actually my true chemdah, is He says, I feel the same way about you. Now, because you were willing to sacrifice what you wanted in order to get what you actually need, let me give what you really need, which is the answer to your prayer. Let me bless you. Let me give you favor. Again, 
and this is up to God to judge the heart, and he knows the motives of our hearts. You could probably theologically twist that and go, oh, okay, so I can just fast, and then God will give me the answer to my prayers. Well, if that's how you started, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, you're automatically one of the Pharisees, and you're doing it to twist God's arm. That's not my place to tell you that. But if you've been fasting to get a prayer, and then God doesn't answer your prayer, Maybe we go back to the beginning and say, God, maybe I'm not fasting to get an answer to prayer. Maybe I'm fasting just because I want to love you more. And let that be enough. Because one of the things that we have a problem with is that we are willing to sacrifice so much so that we can get so much. And then when we don't get so much, we stop sacrificing because we think that it didn't work. No, no, it didn't work. Your heart was just always selfish. That wasn't me telling you your heart is always selfish. That was just me explaining how it works, right? So if you felt like I was insulting you right there, I, I don't know, maybe that was the Holy Spirit convicting you. You're like, move on, Tim. Okay. All right. So fasting in the flesh cultivates favor in the Spirit. There, there's no way around this. There's no way around this reality. Fasting in the flesh, we have two stories now of Daniel, that fasting in the flesh cultivated favor in the spirit. And that always has physical results. Always. Maybe not always the way that you wanted or expected, but it always has physical results. I would imagine that there was a place where Daniel would fast and he would go, all right, God, it would be great if what I could really get is, be, is to be completely free from King Nebuchadnezzar. And God did not free him from Nebuchadnezzar. He gave him a voice for Nebuchadnezzar, right? So maybe, it's, maybe the answer to our fast isn't even always what we're asking for. But it's what God knows that we actually need. All right, should we talk about Jesus? Let's talk about Jesus. That's a good way to wrap up a sermon. Let's talk about Jesus. In Matthew chapter 17, we see a story where Jesus' disciples, so Jesus just had this like super awesome spiritual moment. Maybe you've heard of a story called the, the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus has this like hyper spiritual moment with just a handful of his guys, three of his disciples. Well, they're coming down the mountain and they actually walk right into a mess. And they find out that there was, there was this uh, demonic issue, there was, a, there was a person who was, who was demon-possessed, and this, this person had, had been, the disciples had been working with this person, and nothing worked, right? So actually, let me read this to you. It says, Jesus answered to his, his uh, disciples and to the crowd when they came to Jesus and said, hey, this is what's been going on. It didn't work. Your disciples tried all of the stuff that you do when you cast out demons. How come it didn't work? And Jesus's response in Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 17, says, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Now that's in the New King James uh, Version. I, I love actually in the New Living Translation, it says faithless and corrupt people. He, he, puts them, he calls them right on the mat, right? You're faithless and you're corrupt. By the way, their, their corruption, I think, probably had something to do with the fact that his disciples were trying to demonstrate the same power of Jesus but they were just mimicking Jesus instead of actually having access to his authority. So, so their dependency was on uh, magic tricks, if you really boil that down to the fundamentals, right? Jesus is powerful. Let's do what Jesus does, right? So we'll just speak and say, demon, come out. And they didn't realize that there was actually a spiritual authority that Jesus carried that gave him the ability to speak to the demon and come out. And by the way, just to give the end of the story away, it has nothing to do with the fact that he was Jesus, because you actually could also speak to a demon, command the demon to come out of a person, and it would have to obey. Not because you're special, because Jesus is special, but we've got to line our heart. And by the way, special seems like such a soft word. I mean, he's like the king of everything and all authorities, the captain of heaven's armies, and every name has to and will ultimately bow to him, right? Okay, that's what I meant when I said special. And I just didn't want to soften that and accidentally dishonor God. So in verse 18, it says, Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour, right? I, I love that. It's just like one sentence. Seems like it's not a big deal, because to Jesus, he's just like, yeah, demon's got to come out. He's cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately, because they're not going to ask this question in public, and they said, why could we not cast that demon out? And so Jesus takes him to school. He says, because of your unbelief. 
For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, verse 21 is a verse that in some of your translations actually will just not be included because some people actually say that the, the wording here is confusing and so they just leave it out. Some people say it's not in some of the transcripts. I actually think through, not just because I like this verse, I do happen to like it, but through uh, study that I have done, I actually have good reason to believe that this verse, what we would call verse 21, is actually how Jesus ended this thought, right? And so here's how he ended this thought. He says, however... This kind, talking about this kind of oppression or this kind of spirit, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. By prayer and by fasting. So the point here is, I don't want to get bogged down in whether or not verse 21 should be in the Bible. I I told you I personally think through study that it should be included in the text, and I'm comfortable preaching from that. But the point here isn't to argue about words. The point is to say that what Jesus was trying to do was to teach us that some things cannot be done in our own strength. Right? Deliverance is not something that can be done in our own strength. And so if you are trying to function in your own flesh and ability, and then you come up, with, uh, come up against some kind of spiritual resistance, and you think, well, if I just say the right words, then, then it'll work. Or I heard, I heard uh, Elizabeth Curtis one time pray for somebody, and, and the person that she was praying for got delivered. So I'll just, I'll just copy what Elizabeth said. Well, again, let's just boil that down to what that is. We're trying to cast spells. We're trying to, if I can just use the right words, if I can twist my language the right way, then that, that demon has to obey me. That's witchcraft. That's trying to manipulate according to flesh or, or worldly standards and, and practices. That's sorcery. I know you don't want to practice sorcery. So what do we have to do? Well, we follow Jesus' instructions. Elizabeth Curtis doesn't cast out demons and help people find deliverance because Elizabeth Curtis is great. She does happen to be great. But she does that because she positions her life through regular submission of herself to God so that when she encounters something of the spiritual realms, she's already doing spiritual warfare before the demon showed up. She's already engaged in that as a habit and a practice of her life. So I can send a person who's in bondage to Elizabeth because I know Elizabeth isn't going to set her free, but Jesus in Elizabeth, and and Elizabeth is so in tune with what Jesus would do and say in the moment, she's so submitted to His authority that she wouldn't try to do it in her own power. She would submit that moment and everything to Jesus. That's who she is. And more importantly, that's who Jesus is in and through her life, right? It's good that we have people that we can use as good sermon illustrations like that in our church. But again, we want to make this very, very clear. Fasting is not a magic key that unlocks superpowers or miraculous abilities. Fasting increases our dependency on God, and it, uh, and it heightens our awareness of His will. Jesus actually regularly modeled this. Jesus did not cast that demon out because He happened to be God incarnate. He cast that demon out of that boy when his disciples couldn't because he had a practice of fasting and prayer before that moment. He was so in tune with the Father and with the Holy Spirit that that he knew exactly the will of God in that moment and was able to command the authority of God over that demon and the demon had to obey, which is an ability that you also would have not because you gain a superpower, but because you submit yourself so much to God's power in and through your life. And fasting is a key spiritual discipline to gain that power. So so Jesus is, is faced with unsurmountable odds and he just overcomes them, right? There's a story where a group of people tried to throw Jesus off of a cliff because they didn't like something he said at church one day. And he's standing at the edge of the cliff and they're trying to shove him off. And I love how this, the gospel just recounts this story. It says, so he just moved through the crowd. Right? Have you ever seen somebody like being attacked by a mob and they just moved through a crowd? Jesus just has this ability to not be bothered. And it wasn't because he's God. It's because he was in tune with the Father. So therefore, we don't try to cast out demons or do any kind of spiritual performance because uh, or in our own ability so that people would know we're good or because we're super Christians. 
Instead, we declare God's ability over any issue, which you can do if you have leaned into God and submitted to God. And again, one of the ways that we do that is we practice fasting. So let's wrap all this up with what Jesus is, is, is actually teaching to us today comes all the way full circle, right? So far what we've talked about, this comes all the way back around to Daniel who fasted for two reasons. To set an example of how God's people will serve the world, right? Not by earthly means, but by God's uh, sustaining power. And Daniel fasted to petition God for breakthrough on behalf of God's people, not for selfish means, but for service, right? And then ultimately, this brings us back around to what Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, that fasting is not a show, it's not for personal gain. We fast in order to increase our dependency on God, to petition God for a word or for some other kind of breakthrough, possibly a healing or a direction about a decision, Uh, And then we also fast to become the kind of person that God can and will bless and be a blessing through you. These are the reasons that we fast. So with all that said, uh, I think this would be great to put this into practice this week. I actually want to make an invitation to you that you would join us in a fast this week. Now, you could respond to this if you feel like you would like to. You can respond to this message by saying, hey, I'm going to fast all week. But the invitation that I'm going to give to you today is that you join us in a fast on Tuesday from sunrise to sunset. The reason I'm asking you to join us in a fast on Tuesday is so that you can have Monday to think and pray about what you might fast, right? I don't want, to, I don't want you to feel like you're on the spot. I know some people are super excited about this. Fast tomorrow too. Great, if you want to. But maybe you need a day to think about it. Maybe you need to go and talk to some friends. Maybe you want to get a group of people that will all fast the same way for the same purpose. Uh, And and by the way, that's also the second part of this invitation is that I want to give you a focus to your fast. So in the past, when we've called a fast as a church, we usually would say something like, and here is the focus of our fast. Like we've called fast like at the beginning of the school year, and we pray for all sorts of different things about the start of the school year. And so we're not going to do that uh, as specifically this week, because I think that what Jesus is teaching us here is that there is something that you are going to be fasting for. And I don't know that I can tell everyone what you should be fasting for. I don't know all of the issues and situations in your life. But ask yourself this, what is an area in my life where I would like to draw nearer to God? Or is there an area in my life where I need breakthrough? Is there an area in my life where I need healing? Is there a place in my life where I need an answer? Where I'm asking a question, maybe about a transition in my life. Maybe you're asking for where should I go to school or get a job or should I be in this relationship or, or all kinds of different sorts of uh, questions that you might come to God. Well, make that the focus of your fast. And in your times of prayer, pray about that very thing. You can say, God, I submit all of this to you. What is your will in regards to this situation? And whatever area of your own life that you feel like you would benefit from a fast, make that the focus of your fast. Now, if you're sitting here going, man, my life is so perfect. I actually have no areas where I would petition God for breakthrough and healing. Well, we'll sign you up to be a counselor really soon, but uh, we're surprised by that. But if that happens to be the case and you're just like, actually, I'm doing pretty good right now. Here's, Here's how else we might encourage you. Find a group of friends. You probably know a friend in your circle who's got a need right now. Maybe they're not here at church right now. This sermon's going to be on YouTube by the time you get home from lunch. And so you could actually show them this message. Hi, friends, if you're listening. And you, you could have them tell you what you can fast with them about. Just like Daniel fasted on behalf of God's people for three whole weeks. What if you fasted from sunrise to sunset on Tuesday on behalf of a friend or a family member? And by the way, maybe maybe they don't even know that you're going to do it. Maybe they're not even walking with the Lord right now. Maybe the person you're thinking of right now is, you know what, I want to fast that my loved one would fall in love with Jesus like I am. What a worthy cause that you could fast and pray that God would speak to them or have an encounter with them. And and by the way, if if none of that is inspiring to you, if if nothing is sparking interest in you as you're thinking, but that's that's all right. How about this? I will ask you, if if you come to all of that and you go, I'm still not sure what I would fast about, then then do this. Fast and pray for Life Church. Fast and pray that your church would do a good job 
of making disciples in this new world that we live in on the other side of 2020. The world has changed, and your leaders are asking a ton of questions about how we can be good at making disciples now in this new world that we live in, so you can fast and pray on our behalf. You're part of us, so pray that we would do a good job with that. So there's a bunch of different things that you could be fasting and praying about. As we wrap up, I want to make one final invitation to you that you would take a time of prayer. Uh, In fact, I want to say one specific thing, and then I want to invite you to pray with me in a very general way. Uh, first, specifically, I think that a teaching like this might come, uh, might bring up some things where we realize, you know what, I, I'm actually recognizing that there's been some of the ways, some ways in my life where I've been engaging in God in a very performative way. Uh, I, I, I dress myself up spiritually, so to speak, so that people know what a good Christian I am, or so that I look like I'm a good Christian, even though I'm secretly a terrible one. Whatever it is that you feel about that, I want to invite you right now to just take a moment and come before the Lord. And if there's a place in your life where you would say, God, I I recognize that I've been like those Pharisees that Jesus is correcting, and I've been performing, and I want to repent of that, I just want to invite you right now to join me. If there's any area in your life where you'd say, God, I, I haven't been living according to your standard, would you just close your eyes and give some privacy to the folks around you, and just take a moment, in fact, even right where you're sitting, and just invite you just to pause and just take a deep breath and allow your focus to be drawn to what the Lord would say to you right now. If there's any place of invitation that he would give you and say, you know what? You right there. Yep, that's, this is an area I would like you to talk with me about. God's giving us an invitation if there's been a place where we have been performing to try to gain his favor rather than seeking him because he's enough that we would repent. Repent doesn't mean you grovel and you grieve and you feel like you're the worst person ever. Repent is simply a word that means you recognize you've been going the wrong direction and you make a commitment to God to receive his grace and mercy and begin to walk in a different direction. And so, Lord, for the places where we have been performing, we repent. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your love. God, we ask that you would help us to engage this practice of fasting in ways that would honor you rather than fasting in ways that would twist your arm. We repent if that's been the position that we've taken. Thank you, Lord, for your wisdom and your understanding and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your favor that you do work on our behalf, and we love you, Lord. And finally, I I just want to pray this blessing and come full circle on our day. In Psalm 27, I'll just remind you again, it says that the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? And so I would pray this blessing over you. May you seek God through disciplines like fasting and find them to be life-giving. May you find that God would be your salvation. As Psalm 27 goes on, I would also encourage you to come back and read this text, but it ends by saying, I believe that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And so I'd pray this blessing over you finally today. May you experience God's peace and protection that heals all of your fears. May you receive mercy from God. May as you draw near to Him through spiritual disciplines, may you find Him. And may you hear Him respond to your prayers bless you, and use you in the world to be a blessing. May you grow eternally hungry for his word and his presence. In Jesus' name, amen.